Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. I'm speaking to you today about righteousness. Listen to the words of Jesus. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. These words form part of the famed Sermon on the Mount by Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. They are generally regarded as the theme of the discourse and are repeated twice in the sermon, here positively and in chapter 6 negatively. Do not be like them. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the religious zealots in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. It does not take a lot of imagination to figure out who Jesus styled as Pharisees and teachers of the law. They were the religious elite of their day. They were the gatekeepers, the culture despisers. They spoke with zeal and righteous indignation about matters. They had their preferences, of course, and pet peeves. But generally speaking, whenever they spoke, it was always about what was wrong with the conduct of others and what was likely to come their way in a matter of time. Jesus sets a standard a minimum requirement for his followers to rise above their conduct. What is Jesus saying and how is it to be achieved? In order to answer these questions, we must be sure to know what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not inviting his followers to a contest of showing off in order to show up others. It is not about comparing yourself with others so you can say that you are better than or more than others. In fact, the nature of the scrupulous approach to the observance of the law that characterized the Pharisees would make it impossible to outdo them. They left no stones unturned when it came to righteousness. They overthought these matters and left no detail to chance. If there were a context with them about adherence to the law, the followers of Jesus could not win. They were punctilious, scrupulous to the last. They made their name this way and everyone knew that it was the case. You could not beat them at it. The emphasis therefore is about what righteousness is about. The clue lies in what, Jesus, what else Jesus goes on to say. The righteousness that Jesus had in mind is not something you add up. It is not quantifiable. It is not whether you obey this regulation and that regulation or how often and to what extent. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you 
that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus, by the example he gives, points to a shift in the mindset and approach. When the Bible forbids murder and prohibits the killing of another person, it was making a point of moving from the lesser to the greater. The law is fulfilled not merely by a lesser murder rate, but by the quality of our relationship. It is requiring of us a high standard by which we treat others. How we treat people has everything to do with the value we place on people. In, other, in the words of Jesus, he offers us three tests by which we measure how high a value we place on people. The first test is what you do to people when you are angry with them. Jesus argues that the regard with which we hold persons and therefore the value we place on people is what is shown when we are angry with people and when we show our anger in responding to them. We think it is what we do and say on their birthday and when we want to make them feel special that shows the value we place on them. No, says Jesus. It is what you do when you are angry with them. That is when you know how much value you place on them. What you do and what you say when your rights are infringed and you have been insulted and you feel that they are entirely to blame for what has happened and you are so angry you can't think straight. You have lost your cool. You have lost your temper. It is what you do then in those circumstances that let you know how valuable someone is to you. It is what tells you whether you are different from the world around you or just the same. It is calling upon us to hold ourselves together even in situations of utter provocation. If when you are provoked and you are angry, you permit yourself to mistreat others, to injure them, you are no better than anyone else. The real measure of a man or a woman is what they do to others when they are angry. If in those circumstances you can hold it together, hold your neighbor and your sister and your brother in high regard, you testify that you belong to the kingdom of God. Anger is no excuse for mistreating others. Provocation is no justification for violence, for insult, or for injury. <clears throat> Jesus gives a second test of how we know what value we place on persons. It is the fact 
that we hold ourselves accountable never to speak about persons with contempt. There are some words that must, that must never come out of our mouths. There are some words we must never use to describe others. Jesus appears to say, you must never call your fellow human being a fool. Calling someone a fool in the culture of Jesus' day carried elements that went beyond merely an unfavorable assessment of their intellectual gifts. It was an epithet of utter content. To use that language about a person was to be totally dismissive of any worth or merit of that person. By calling someone a fool, one was giving oneself permission to treat that person with contempt and to disregard any rights that they may have or any duty that we may have as to treat them as a fellow human being. What we call people, the names or nicknames we give them, gives ourselves permission to mistreat them and to not accord to them the worth and dignity deserving of a brother or a sister or a fellow human being. Fool was the language of the dismissiveness and contempt in Jesus' day. There are many mm. modern substitutes. In this season of elections, there are things we say about our political opposites that deny them of their humanity or their human possibility and of their human worth and dignity. Jesus disallows us from speaking about people with contempt and then sliding back into our self-delusions about our own righteousness. Righteousness is everything to do with what we say about people. If you are prepared to speak down to others and to speak ill of others because they do not belong to your group and because they do not fit the criteria you have made up for them, you are no better than anyone else. In fact, Jesus says, you are fit for hellfire. When we look at the people catching hell in the place many people call paradise, it began with names and nicknames that were used of them. It is in the heart that murder begins. When we give ourselves permission to dismiss people and to treat them with contempt, we are on a slippery slope and there is no telling what will follow. We are not going to be, we are not going to usher God's kingdom in our world until we learn to treat others with dignity and regard and to place a high value on them. How we think about them. What we say of them in, is a good place to begin. Let us cleanse our minds. Let us cleanse our lips of some of the words and some of the names that we give to people. The psalmist says, set a watch before my lips, O Lord, and incline not my heart to speak any evil thing. That ought to be our prayer if we are going to be able 
to raise the standard of conduct around us. Jesus gives a third measure. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This gives priority to the social. If your brother has something against you, means that the burden of reconciliation with each other is our primary spiritual obligation that nothing can trump. It is our first order of business, not just to get along, but to be restored and reconciled when something goes wrong. This extends beyond personal squabbles and differences, deep into even the intractable social problems of race and crime. It puts the burden to take the initiatives towards reconciliation on the part of the offender. If your brother has something against you, but the obligation to seek reconciliation and restoration also involves the offending. It means that the higher standard of righteousness means to be slow to take offense and ready to seek reconciliation. It means the humility to take responsibility, to acknowledge shortcomings and to seek forgiveness. The thing with righteous people is that they can only see their rights and righteousness, never their failings. They have these blind spots. The standard to which Jesus calls us invites us to think about and to imagine the perspective of the other. How have my actions or my words made them feel? And then to take the initiative to make amends. This is true righteousness. The Pharisees and teachers of the law had notions of righteousness that were based on obeying external regulations only. They were scrupulous in their adherence to these rules. And once they got the letter of the law right, their deed was done. At the same time, they imposed heavy burdens and carried out harsh punishment on those who failed to measure up and to keep up the standard that they had set for them. Jesus upended this way of seeing things and doing things. He sought to get the spirit and the values behind the written code. Do not murder. Is a duty to treat a human being as a person of inestimable worth. It required an approach to human relationship, to, social, to the social, to the building of a human community that made no excuses for itself. Under no circumstances can we be violent or cruel to our neighbor. It calls for a refusal to belittle others, to treat them with contempt, those different from us and those who do not meet up to the bar that we have set for them. And it obliges us to pursue harmony and social cohesion to be reconciled to each other. This is what righteousness looks like. It is building a community of equals, of friends, of brothers and of sisters. This is how to bring 
God's kingdom. And this is how we know we have entered God's kingdom. God, please grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. The courage to change the things in ourselves and in our world that we can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Amen.